Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Today on Team Anywhere, we have Phil Simon, speaker, professor, advisor, and author of 11 books, including his latest, Reimagining Collaboration, Slack, Microsoft, Teams, Zoom, and the post-COVID world of work. While many leaders are focused on how to go back to the office, Phil cautions us that instead of focusing on when or how to go back, we should instead focus on how best to collaborate. The genie is out of the bottle. To be the most effective and efficient at work will be a combination of workers in office and out of office. Leaders will focus on culture and priorities first, and then choose their collaboration tools to design the best ways of working. The winners in the future will build engagement and grow profits through maximizing collaboration to Team Anywhere. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis on the East Coast, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast. Today, we have a very distinguished guest, Phil Simon, and Phil is a keynote speaker, college professor, award-winning author of, wait a minute, 11 books, dynamic Zoom and Slack trainer, and a recognized collaboration and technology expert. His most recent publication, Reimagining Collaboration, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, and the post-COVID world of work, <laughs> brings Phil's expertise together in a very hands-on way. He has also contributed to all the places I wish I had contributed, Harvard Business Review, MIT Sloan Management Review, Wired, NBC, New York Times. Phil, welcome. Jenny, thanks for having me, Mitch. Nice to meet you as well. Nice to meet you. That's a lot. That's a lot of books, Jenny. It, it, no, it certainly is. I call him the Renaissance Man. <laughs> and just in case any of you noticed, my co-host and Phil both have the same last name, and we had a nice conversation. How about they are not related whatsoever? So. Maybe way back. Maybe way yeah, back. Maybe. And, who, knows? who knows? Who knows? So, Phil, it's been a crazy eighteen months. Could you share with our listeners how you navigated um, this worldwide pandemic, pandemic, and and what did you learn? Lots of wine. <laughs> Let's start with that. Yeah, uh, not a lot of travel. I erred on the side of caution. I haven't been on a plane in a year, and I'm fortunate enough to have a job that allows me to work remotely. Uh, frontline workers to whom I dedicated the new book, Reimagining Collaboration don't have that luxury. Yeah. Uh, Am Amazon um, factory workers or distribution center workers or fulfillment centers, whatever they're calling them these days, uh, restaurant workers, so many folks didn't have that luxury. So there's never a good time for a pandemic, but given the tools, um, I guess that uh, wasn't the worst conceivable time, I mean, high-speed internet connection and a lot of collaboration tools. In terms of what I've learned, lots of things. I didn't plan on when Zoom for Drummies dropped in, late July or early August of 
2020 that I'd be cranking out book number 11, but it was just obvious to me that the power of these collaboration hubs, and we'll talk more about this later, uh, people just didn't get, right? They were largely using Zoom as Skype 2.0 or Microsoft Teams or Slack as email 2.0. And as I'm fond of saying, that's akin to having a Lexus convertible and using it as a very fancy cup holder to, to paraphrase one of my <laughs> favorite jokes from the comedian Gary Goldman or having a phone, uh, Apple iPhone, Android phone doesn't matter, but you only use the phone app. Uh, you can do that, but there are a couple other things more you can do. And I was also of the opinion as companies navigated this crisis that we weren't going to return. And of all the books being released about the future of work, none had this particular angle. So I decided to crank out another one and hopefully help companies embrace the power of hubs and spokes. Fabulous. Fabulous. And uh, yes, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, you are known as the collaboration guy. And as we look at your website and your books, that term relates from anything having to do with technology all the way to people and leaders and teams themselves. Can you talk a little bit about um, your meaning and definition of collaboration? Yeah, it's quite simple. I'm working with someone or someones to get something done, right? And in yeah. chapter two of the new book, I actually define collaboration against some adjacent terms. So whether it's productivity or multitasking or coordination or cooperation, I think it was Churchill, but I've never been able to find this one online. But somebody smarter than myself once said success begins with a common understanding of terms. Mm -hmm. So when people are careless with their language, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves, what do we mean by collaborating, right? Is it the same yeah. as productivity? No, because I can be productive by myself, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can collaborate with folks and actually hinder the project. So I just thought that it was essential to throw some things out there because they were serving as the underpinnings of the book and a lot of my consulting work and kind of my mindset. Right, exactly. So how has this, I believe, I don't know if you believe, become even more important now? And maybe that's why you were saying you needed to get your 11th book out with hybrid and virtual. We've seen this. I mean, over 50% of employees, depending on the poll, I've seen a bunch of them from Gallup and some other institutions. Employees don't want to return to Monday through Friday, nine to five. Mm -hmm. uh, LinkedIn's economic graph recently put out research to the effect of the number of jobs with the word remote in the title increased 547% from last year. So Whoa, even if, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a good data point. There. Yeah isn't going back. I'm fond of saying that it's like having a disc man to listen to music. Well, once the iPod dropped, people weren't yeah. buying disc, disc men anymore. Although technically, I suppose there's still people who have them. So we weren't going back. And it wasn't simply a matter of saying, like maybe in the past, if there was some sort of crisis, we're requiring everyone to be at work. Well, if all these other companies are allowing people to work remotely, and we've got powerful collaboration tools, even though we're not using them as well as we could, then mm -hmm. in a way it doesn't matter. And, and a, a very large percentage of employees would walk if their employer did not offer at least partial remote work. And there are plenty of jobs that are you know, location independent. I'm not just talking about distributed companies like Basecamp and Automatic that I've mentioned in the book, mm -hmm. but companies that have got religion and they realize that 
again, quoting Churchill way too much early on, <laughs> in crisis, there is tremendous opportunity mm-hmm. or never, never waste a good crisis. So you can reduce your real estate costs. You can open yourselves up to a larger labor pool. If you're paying an engineer $120,000 in San Francisco, well, you might only have to pay that engineer $90,000 in Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah. Um, even though certain companies or certain jobs may go back, people have spoken. They don't want their lives to revolve around work. They want the other way around. Totally. Yeah. And opening opening up a whole range of issues around that in terms of what's legal, um, what state are you working in? I mean, it just cascades all over the place. Well, I want to explore with you both sides of the coin, one, the technology piece, and then the other, the human leader team piece. Well, let me go to your book where you talk about um, your model of how organizations need to embrace hubs and spokes. Can you talk about that a bit? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. Next question. (laughs) Of course. So again, I started thinking a lot about the ability to easily connect these disparate apps to a central entity. So this is what I mean by hubs and spokes. So let's start with hub. I'll call it a general use software application that lets you do a bunch of different things. So I can send messages, I can upload files, I can post videos, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the real power of hubs, I would argue, stems from being able to connect them to spokes. So let me be a little bit less abstract. Um, Have either of you heard of a project management tool like Trello or Asana or Basecamp? Yes. Okay. Those are very powerful tools. And by no means does Microsoft Teams or Slack or Zoom or Workspace by Facebook, sorry, work, it's very confusing, Workspace by Google and Workplace by Facebook and the other hubs that I discuss in the book, obviate project management. They can't possibly do all that, but they can easily connect. And even better, if you can install an app on your smartphone, you could connect the hub to Spoke. There are, uh, Zoom just passed a thousand third-party apps um, hmm. Slack's been over 2,000 ever since Slack for Dummies came out a year and a half ago. Microsoft Teams is actively working with developers to stitch together hubs and spokes. Now, if there isn't a native app, then you've got two options. You can use what I'll call a connector, something like AirSlate or Zapier or Workato. And again, without any code, they call them low-code or no-code solutions. If you can mm-hmm. operate a mouse, I can stitch together Basecamp to Zoom, such that if someone sends me a message in Basecamp, I don't want to have to install that app on my phone or my desktop. I get that notification in Zoom and it works both ways. So you can do a lot of things that we'll talk about later, but I'll just finish up the model. Failing that, you can get the IT department involved or a software developer and build a custom bridge. But I would say 90% of the time, if not more, depending on the organization, it is easy to stitch together hubs and spokes and the benefits are enormous. Now, are you finding, and this gets to an, uh, uh, organizations starting to play around with apps um, in such an intense way that they never did before, right? Because of virtual and hybrid and discovering that they're disparate and I need to bring them together. Is there all of a sudden this awareness and, and, increase in knowledge base, or are you finding folks are just struggling out there? 
It's all over the place, Ginny. I'd argue that there are three groups of people, and I've been saying this for years, going back to my consulting days with enterprise systems. Mm-hmm. You've got those that get it, right? And I explain hubs and spokes to them. They go, oh, we right. don't call it hubs and spokes, but we're already doing that because we realize that it's silly to copy text or data from one system and paste it into another or update one system and making sure that you're updating another application. You've got those that don't get it, but want to get it. So when I go on shows like this and I explain to folks, they go, oh, you can do that. That's interesting. Cause yeah, I do spend a lot of time multitasking or doing a lot of manual work. Right. And work should be, you know, Kevin Roos, who wrote a book called future proof was on my own podcast. And one of his rules in the book is don't be an endpoint. So if your job entails taking someone or something and from point A to point B, whether it's an Uber driver or whether it's copying or pasting text, then eventually you'll get automated away. That's not that much fun. It's a lot more fun on a personal level for me to think about books, to craft talks and podcasts or to do cool things on my website, right? Consult clients, help them do things that can't necessarily be automated. So, ah. so the third group of people, just to finish that out, is folks who don't who don't get it and don't want to get it. I avoid those folks like the plague because it's not going to end well and life's too short. I work for myself. Um, you, uh, you introduced me before as a college professor. I'm actually a recovering college professor. <laughs> I, I no longer work at a large state university. So I have a great deal of choice into whom I take on as a client. But uh, yeah, they're all over the place. You have folks that are willing to think differently about collaboration and you know build a comprehensive knowledge base and, you know, position themselves as employee friendly and overcome the many, many deficiencies of email. But you got other folks who say, ain't broke, don't fix it. This is the way I had to do it. I had to schlep into the office an hour and a half commute each day, five days a week. I had to use a bunch of email. Guess what? You're doing the same thing. We'll come back to the technology side. Let's jump over to the leadership and team side. What are you seeing? Because I can have all these great tools, right? And using them perhaps in an ideal way what do leaders and teams need to have in terms of a mindset, in terms of agreements, in terms of values to make this work? I would argue curiosity, right? I'm proud of the fact that I wrote a holistic book. I'm not saying just implement Teams or Slack or Zoom and you'll be fine because people have to use it. And I'd argue that there's an asymmetry of power. It's tough to manage up. Right? You can't say to your team lead or your CIO or CXO or whatever, hey, you need to be using <laughs> Teams or Slack. Yeah. Right? I know when I worked in my previous position, I fought this battle a few times. And if my manager, who was the department chair, wanted to blast out emails six times a day, I couldn't say to him, yeah, um, I only respond in Slack. Now, I could say that to my students, and I did. Right. Mm-hmm. I had one student I remember because I've been using I use Slack for my three or four years in my previous place. Um, I could dictate that. Um, yeah. Because you know, I was the professor, right? Yes. Uh, and with right. But I can't necessarily tell my manager, much less the head of a company, to do that. So um, there's actually a I think a really good example in my new book about a company called OfferUp. They're kind of like a mobile Craigslist or eBay. Mm-hmm. And initially they were using Slack as the hub, but in a very uneven way. And once they realized that there were massive network effects and benefits of using it throughout the company, which involved getting the senior leadership involved, they took it to the next level. And they said, I can't believe we used email internally or used Slack so inconsistently. 
So uh, yes, this is very much a holistic book and you have to be able to look at an existing business process and say, all right, this worked 20 years ago, but could we make it better? Are we going to rely upon paper or email or in-person meetings? Are we trying to simulate something virtually that wasn't that great in person? So again, going back to Churchill and never wasting a good crisis, um, I I don't have all the answers, but I like to think that I wrote a book that prods people to ask some questions and even, I'll say it, makes people a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Because, you know, whether it's the training or the fact that they're near the end of their careers or they hate change or whatever, um, that there is this opportunity to do things in a better way. And hopefully this book will force people to ask themselves those questions. You talked about this a little bit already in that example, um, and and we've also talked about there's a continuum. As you said, there's three groups. If you have a company that's uh, organization that's sort of on the edge, um, and and you said the one you talked about, gee, I can't believe we haven't been using this more effectively and efficiently. How do you move the culture to that, to the acceptance to that, to, oh, yeah, we need to get on it? How do you implement that? <laughs> if only it were that easy. I mean, we're, t- we're at a high level, we're talking about change management and people's tools are very personal to them. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that I don't come in with some sort of turnkey solution. If a client engages me, I start off with questions, right? Tell me about the culture there. Tell me how you use technology. Tell me how you tolerate people who really aren't on board with different things. Tell me about the specific tools that you use. I had a conversation with a fairly senior person at a local company here in Phoenix not that long ago, and the guy wanted to bring me in and said, All right, give me your pl- send me your plan. And I said, no, <laughs> I can't do that until I ask people some questions because I could jump in there. And in the book, I talk about collaboration killers and how to avoid them. And one of the personas in the book is, I forget the name that I call it, but something like Aggressive Allen or something, although that's not it. People who have no self-awareness and they jump in and say, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z and get rid of this. And whoa, 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 stop. Uh, Which makes me think of the great George Clooney movie, Up in the Air. And there's um, this quote um, that he um, mentions to Anna Kendrick's character. Before you try to uh, revolutionize my business, (laughs) I want to make sure that you understand my business. So I, I start with questions, but I am hard-pressed to think of an industry or a company that wouldn't benefit from embracing a more holistic model of collaboration. I could be wrong, but I just saw this as a really big idea that warranted busting my butt and cranking this book out in a very short period of time. I've got a question, Phil, um, my cousin Phil here. Yeah. Is, and what I'm hearing you say is, is a lot of the companies, let's say, didn't do a, a collaboration audit before the pandemic started. A lot of companies, um, you know, obviously a lot of companies did not know about Zoom. They did not know about Microsoft Teams. They did not know about any of these tools that you talked about in your book because, yes, they existed, but they weren't using them. And then as a consultant, I'm hearing you say the one of the wisest things you can do is actually, and as a coach, you know, kind of gently tell a company, you know, before the pandemic, you weren't great collaborators. And so um, I really want to start this from, let me understand your culture. And then let's kind of look at this from a collaboration first versus Joe and Betty come in Tuesday and Wednesday and, and Mark and Alan come in on you know Thursday and Friday. 
That's what I'm, I'm hearing you say this because I don't think a lot of companies are looking at this from a lens of collaboration. I think they're looking at it of a lens of, well, we did that before and maybe we should keep doing that or not doing that. Am mm-hmm. I kind of picking up this right, Phil? I couldn't agree more. I mean, when you think about the average, say, number of emails that people received and my 2015 book, Message Not Received, goes into this. But Radicati did a study that the average corporate person received anywhere from 120 to 150 emails per day. That's insane Mm -hmm. and growing at something like 15% a year. So in four and a half years, congratulations, you've got double. Well, if Mm -hmm. you take that model and you move it to Teams or to Slack or another text-based tool, then, all right, I'm just getting different notifications. <laughs> yes. Right. So that doesn't really solve the problem. Um, I'm an advocate of, in fact, I think I even invented a three email rule. So after three, let's talk, right? If you've got everyone CC'd on something, you know, and I've, I've seen this many times as a consultant where we, we shoot around different versions of a deck for a presentation and version 19 looks a lot like version one that isn't mm-hmm. very efficient. So again, given the fact that we've got these more powerful tools, you know, does it make sense to go, you know, let me share my screen with you. Boom. I can show you what I'm seeing. Again, even in opening a help desk ticket, there's an example in the book of an existing business process. And many times when people open up a ticket, it's my computer doesn't work. Response. Okay. Tell me more. Yes. (laughs) And then by that time they're into the 15th or the 16th message, finally they're getting somewhere. Or even if they have a form, people fail to include key information. Well, the way I've been doing it for years, and there are so many tools out there. You've got Loom, you've got Zoom, you can record screens. There are so many of them. You could probably even do this, Mitch, with them, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So record a video, right? And I can show you exactly why my computer crashes, right? And you don't have to go, is it Windows or is it Mac? Or is it Big Sur or Catalina? Or is it Chrome or Safari or whatever? How would you... I love that answer. How would you... um support a leader who's listening to this podcast on, on how to think about how to think about this, you know, as, um, because I'm just thinking about my, my clients and they're, they're struggling because, well, we're in the future. That's never happened before. And what are some of the questions they would want to ask themselves to think about creating a more effective workplace? Well, I'm going to quote Gandhi who said action expresses priorities. Think about this. Think about the senior executive who says, guys, we're not doing this over email, right? Think about the senior executive who says, I I, I don't want to do this this way. Let's have a a 10 minute meeting, right? Mm -hmm. You are setting an example and people mimic the actions, you know this Mitch, of the people underneath them, right? When I go into organizations and saw how much jargon people were using, then I'd see an announcement from the CXO about, digital experience platforms and synergies and going, oh, that's where they get it from, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that you can set an incredibly powerful example that people will emulate um, because again, you're at that level. People want to get to that level. How are they going to do that? Are they going to do that by challenging you? Maybe, uh, but a lot of cultures aren't built for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and looping this all around, Mitch, uh, a lot of the stuff that's coming out now uh, in terms of recommendations to leaders is first know yourself in terms of your values and the kind of organization you want. And secondly, as we're going into the new work, start defining what work is for you and your folks and do that together. And then from there, you start 
laying the technology and the connections that are now going to make sense. As Mitch said, they're really not doing it that way. I agree with you. I mean, I'm asking a fundamental question. What does it mean to collaborate? This is, in my opinion, so much more than a book about tools. Um, And this is why in the chapter about reimagining human resources, I ask, you know, how do you evaluate, how you evaluate employees, right? How do you look at them in terms of collaboration, right? Right. What's the performance review? Is, Is collaboration a hygiene factor? So just as an example, I've had positions in which people said, oh, you're not very collaborative. Okay, let's let's have that discussion. But just because you're collaborative doesn't mean that you get any kind of props, right? right? So is collaboration important or not? Because you know people could look back at their performance review or whatever uh, rubrics organizations use to evaluate employees and say, look, you know, are you doing this or not? Now, again, I'm not trying to paint a false dichotomy. If you're collaborative but suck at your job, beyond that, well, that's yeah. not good. And if you're really good at your job but you're a jerk and you know, Reed Hastings of Netflix is famous for saying we don't hire brilliant jerks. So yes. again, uh, I, I want people to be aware that this isn't just about tools. It's about business processes. It's about organizational culture. It's about hiring. It's about change management. And to put this into a book of any reasonable length, um, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't pleased with the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's Phil. I love um, this idea, which is, you know, I don't. I don't remember in my in my reviews whether my um, my bonus or my you know, moving up in the organization was based on how well I collaborated. It seems that as um, as we move forward, you know, as a lot of podcasters are basically saying, "Look, the genie's out of the box." You know, it, we we can be more effective um, when we're in different different places. I'm wondering if companies will now look at their employees to say, you know what, you're a good employee as one of the factors of whether or not you're a good employee is that you are a good collaborator, which means that you, you know, let's check the boxes. You actually use the tools that we're giving you. You know, obviously we're not shoving them down your throat. They were chosen because they, they, um, they're connected to our values. You appreciate that sometimes your team will be here and sometimes your team won't be here. Um, Along with that collaboration is you'll take it upon yourself to do asynchronous work when you're supposed to be doing asynchronous work. And then you'll, you'll be all in when you're supposed to be doing synchronous work. And so I'm just looking at, if you're looking at this from values, you know, turtles all the way down, values Mm -hmm. all the way down, that it will be a, a new way for, companies to obviously judge themselves because at the bottom line is our, you know, although they haven't seen it, you know, we have really great results. Why do we have really great results? Because we're a really great company that really collaborates. And then to kind of bringing it down to the, to the employee as to, we want you to, we want you to be a good collaborator. That's what this is all. And you know what? That's, I would love the world to have great collaborators, right? Wouldn't the world be a, a much better place? I said a lot. What do you think about that? Yeah, thing? you did. Right. Right. You did. Yeah. Look, all things being equal, if I have two companies, Mitch, company A and company B, company A collaborates well, company B doesn't. I'll bet on company A any day of the week and twice on Sunday. But just because yeah. a collabor- a company collaborates well or its employees collaborate well, doesn't mean that they could ignore contemporary economic realities, right? Well, we make right. Blackberries. Right. No one's buying Blackberries anymore. So collaborate right. yeah, all you want. Sure. That, ship, that ship has sailed. 
Sure. Um, I, again, I, I'm a big believer that you can be successful in a dysfunctional culture. I've been at some companies and said, how the hell do we even keep the lights on, let alone make any money? Right, right. In spite they, of ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. In spite of myself, you read my, uh, read my mind. But again, all things being equal, will those be the types of organizations that will be able to be successful over the long term? Will be able to attract, retain, and motivate employees, knowing that they can go anywhere in general, uh, much less when so much work is remote. Great. So, you, so your book has a lot to do not just with which tool to use, but your your book has a lot to do just with the mindset of collaboration. Yeah, I am not the strangest technology expert you'll ever meet. My master's is in industrial and labor relations from Cornell University. And I worked in HR for a hot minute before I realized I'm not any good at this. But I was interested in technology and data and eventually moved into implementing HR and payroll systems and subsequently wrote books about a bunch of other topics. But yeah, in a way, I've come full circle here, Mitch. Um, I This is a management book like all my other books, even my book about big data or analytics, um, people think is super technical. It really isn't. I mean, i read a lot of technical books and talked to some really technical folks. And I think if I have a talent as a writer or as a thinker, it's that I'm able to translate, right? I can take complicated ideas, in some case, a lot of business jargon and turn it into something that people can understand. It was tough to nail the title of the book. Mm -hmm. And I thought about putting hubs and spokes in there, but I ultimately decided that the SEO value of having Slack, Microsoft Teams and Zoom there was worth it, even though yeah, you know, yeah, tomorrow yeah. Zoom could go poof, even though that's that's not likely to happen. But yeah, it's a conceptual book. I mean, there are a couple of screenshots in there from specific tools that may become irrelevant in a, a week or two or a year or two. But I know it's you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, But yeah, unlike my, my dummies guides, which will be dated, and they're already partially dated just because te- te- technology moves so quickly these days, I really wanted to write a book that I thought had a different approach two things. And again, five years from now, people could say, wow, this guy was really on top of things. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, Mitch, as you mentioned before, when people talk about being able to assess a collaboration in, in chapter 15 of the book, The Future Collaboration, I write about sort of my vision for the future with these hubs and spokes. They're going to be so intelligent that they'll be able to produce insights. So Mitch, you actually are not quite as responsive as you used to be, or Jenny, right. you're pretty chatty in the conversations and you don't let other people breathe. Um, that doesn't mean that you're a bad employee, but that could actually be very valuable feedback. In fact, I liken it to the uh, Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her, about a guy who falls in love with an operating system. Oh, gosh, I know. That's fantastic. gets to know him. So that's how I sort of envision the future of collaboration and hubs and spokes, needless to say, are a big part of it. Mm-hmm. So looking forward. What are the trends you're seeing? What do you think leaders and teams and organizations need to be paying attention to over the next two years? My book, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First, read Phil's book. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm only being halfway facetious, though, because since the book's publication, I mean, Microsoft has announced something called Project Viva, which is effectively an attempt to wrap the entire world, not just Microsoft products, around Teams. Teams becomes the operating system. That dropped in, I think, February. Zoom announced that they had crossed a thousand third-party apps. Uh, Salesforce announced right when I was going to press that it had announced plans to acquire Slack. I mean, uh, Citrix bought the project management tool Rike for $2 billion, Mm. right? So we're we're seeing this integration 
of these different technologies into one gestalt. And I can't wait to see what's next. I don't think you unring this bell. In fact, uh, one of the things that gave me confidence as I was doing the research, but then since the book came out and I started doing the real work, which is promoting the damn thing, Mm -hmm. um, I, I did have folks at senior levels of companies say, yeah, this is more or less the direction that we're going. And if you think about some of the other types of enterprise applications like enterprise resource planning or customer relationship management, those are integrated, right? I mean, in the, you know, when I first got my start in enterprise systems, companies were implementing PeopleSoft or Lawson or Oracle because they wanted you know, one big system that interoperated, right? So if I handled the purchase order, right, I could cut that check in accounting. I didn't have to worry about keying it into a different system. Right. Um, again, Satya Nadella, when he was the CEO of Microsoft, announcing Microsoft Viva, more or less made those same analogies. So um, I, I don't think that hubs and spokes are going anywhere. And to borrow a phrase from the military, follow leader, get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that that's totally exciting. Totally exciting. All right. So how can folks find you and your book? PhilSimon.com. PhilSimon.com. It's all there and it's all nicely laid out. I love it. (laughs) Thanks, Phil. Thank you. Mitch. Thank you, Phil, uh, so much for uh, your time and, and really having us think differently mm-hmm. about collaboration where collaboration really sh- really should be um, because it actually is, but it definitely should be uh, the center of a leader's focus as he is uh, building um, success and profitability and effectiveness at, at his company and with his teams. So wow. Thanks for having really- me guys. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, uh, Dr. Ginny Bianco. <laughs> Mathis. That is a long name, Ginny. And thank thank you to all our listeners um, at Team Anywhere. Please, if you've loved this, if you've loved this episode or any other episode, please share this with your friends and your colleagues. And we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. 